they have no wine. With those words, the scene is set for the gospel reading that Charlie just read about a few moments ago. Jesus is at a wedding at Cana, a little town not far from Nazareth, where he grew up. His mom's there. His disciples are there. It's a big deal. A lot of people are there. You know, weddings in this country are always a big deal, aren't they? You plan and you plan and you prepare and you spend a whole lot more money than you ever wanted to spend. You want everything to be just right. And at this wedding, they ran out of wine. It's a social disaster. Think of the embarrassment. Suppose that you're the the parents of the bride and you've been planning and spending and you want everything to go well and, and then at the reception you run out of wine. What an embarrassment. What a disaster. But Jesus saved the day. Jesus turned water into wine. Now I suspect if I were an atheist and I heard this story, I would be even more hardened in my atheism. I would say this is a ridiculous old fairy tale from the New Testament. There's no truth to it at all. And maybe, maybe even some of us in the body of Christ might have some questions about this story. Because after all, it's a pretty laughable, far-fetched account, isn't it? You know, you just don't turn water into wine. You just don't do that. And it's not just that Jesus turned water into wine. It's the quantity of the water he turned into wine. Were you listening to the story? Charlie read it. What he turned into wine is not a glass of water or a bottle of water. No, what he turned into wine were large earthenware jars that were filled to the brim with water. Now, now these big jars were used for Jewish purification rites. People washed in this water. It was like bath water, if you will. And the gospel lesson says these huge urns held 20 to 30 gallons of wine each. Think think of a big earthenware jar with 30 gallons of water. Think of trying to pick that up. You couldn't do it. It'd be way too heavy. And in the story, there's six of these big jars, which means that Jesus turned somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of water into wine. Wow! You know how much wine that is? You know the standard wine bottle? Now, it's a little bit deceptive when you look at a standard wine bottle. Did you ever look at the bottom of the wine bottle? It's not a flat bottom. It goes way up inside, big indentation, so you get less than you think you're going to get. But it's roughly a fifth of a gallon, just roughly a fifth, which means Jesus turned 900 bottles of water into wine. What a party. And and remember, the the guests are already drunk before he he does this. Abundant wine. 
wine overflowing, wine enough for everyone in abundance. And it's not just the quantity, it's the quality. This is the good stuff. Yeah, they bring a little bit to the wine steward to taste. Now, now the wine steward knows his wine. This guy knows the right vintage and exactly what kind of wine you serve with, with what kind of food. He, does, he doesn't go into the wine shop and just pick out the cheapest bottle like you might do. No, he knows the good stuff. And when he tastes it, he goes to the bridegroom and he says, what are you doing? Everybody serves the good wine first. Then they get out the cheap stuff when everybody's tipsy. But you have saved the best wine till now. Yes, it's, it's a laughable story. It's turning the water into wine. The atheists would reject it and perhaps we have trouble with it. How in the world could Jesus turn water into wine? Well, honestly, I don't know how he did it. But I know this. I do know that every springtime the warm and gentle rains come down and soak into the earth. The rains come down and soak into the earth where the vineyard is where the grapevines grow. And by some miraculous process we call osmosis, the grapevine draws that water up from the earth and into the vine and the leaves. And all spring and all summer, that water is drawn up and little grapes form, real small at first, but they get bigger and bigger. And somehow, by some miraculous process, that water is turned into a sweet and succulent juice, the juice of the grape. And then in the fall, those grapes are harvested. And by some miraculous process we call fermentation, that juice, which was water, is turned into wine. Friends, you don't think that the Lord has the power to turn water into wine? The Lord's been turning water into wine every summer since the world began. God can do it. With God, nothing is impossible. With God, all things are possible. One of the points of this story is that God has that power. This power of almighty God, which is present in Jesus Christ. It's a sign of that, a sign of God's infinite power in Christ. And it's not just a story about a man who can turn water into wine, is it? Oh, it's that, but it's more. It's the story about a man who can change our lives. A man who can take the water of our lives, that insipid, dirty, polluted, vile water, and turn it into wine. Turn it into something good and beautiful and noble and majestic. In Jesus Christ, there is that power to change and transform your life into something great and good. In the New Testament, the Greek word that is used for miracle is the word sameon. It means miracle. It literally means a sign. 
That's what the miracles are. They are signs, signs of God's mighty power in Christ. And John's gospel says this was the first of the signs of the miracles, which implies that there are more to come. There are more to come. There's going to be little amounts of bread that are turned into enough to feed a multitude of 5,000. There's going to be a walking on the water. The sick are going to be cured. The deaf are going to hear. The blind are going to see. The lame are going to be made to walk again. There's even going to be a resurrection. And the power of death will be defeated forevermore. Miracles, signs, signs of God's mighty power in Christ. A mighty power that can change your life. That can turn the water of your life into wine. In Christ, we're given a power to see ourselves and others in a whole new way. To see ourselves and others with new eyes. We look into our own lives and we may see someone who is fearful and anxious and worried and nervous. We look into our lives we may see someone who who thinks I've made a terrible mess of things. There are things in the past I've done that I'm horribly ashamed of. We look into our lives and we may see someone who is burdened down with despair, with grief, with pain, with suffering. We look into our lives and we may see someone who just desperately, desperately wanted to win the Powerball because if we just had $1.7 billion, we might be able to straighten things out. And now that we didn't, We just got to muddle along, muddle along through life until we get sick and grow old and die. But in Christ, we look at ourselves in a whole new way. As one who's created by God, loved by God, redeemed by God, transformed by God, changed over into his glorious likeness to live with him forevermore in his eternal kingdom. That's who we are, children of God, nothing less. Nothing less than that, we're children of the living God. And we look at others, and we can see them with new eyes. All others, children of God, redeemed and transformed by God. Everyone, even the people we don't like, even the people that we're afraid of, even the people we consider to be our enemies, even, even Even the jerk that lives down the street or that crabby old woman that you have to deal with in the office or the people who just drive you crazy. We see them with new eyes. Children whom God loves. God wants to live with him forevermore. In Christ, there is that power. Christ can take water and turn it into wine. Abundant wine. Wine for all. Wine of the finest quality. He can take the water of our lives and make them new. And how does this happen? Well, in the gospel it tells us. There's a wonderful example given. It's the example of Mary. Remember, it's Mary who goes to Jesus. She goes with those pathetic words. They have no wine. But but she goes with confidence. She knows Jesus can do something about it. Confidence in that power. My boy can handle this. And and then, you got to love this. Mary goes to the servants. And remember 
what she says. She speaks of Jesus and she says, do whatever he tells you to do. I love it. Mary's cool. There's no crisis here. Just do what he tells you to do and everything will be okay. If he tells you to fill the jars with water, then fill the jars with water. Or if he tells you to love your neighbors, then love your neighbors. If he tells you to seek peace and reconciliation, then don't push those hot buttons that make people even more upset and angry, but seek peace and reconciliation. If he tells you to forgive, not once, not twice, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times, then forgive one another. If he tells you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and to trust that everything else is going to be all right if you just seek God's kingdom first, then seek God's kingdom first. Do what he tells you to do. And if so, this old miracle will come to life again. It will be renewed. It will be repeated. For God in his power can change your life and can change water into wine. It can happen. It can happen now. It can happen this day. It can happen this week. Just do what he tells you. To do. And this old story will come to life again. Now, we all know you don't take new wine and put it into an old wineskin. I don't want to be an old wineskin, do you? Do what he tells you to do. Because you see, most people, most people, when they have a party, they serve the good wine first. They save the cheap stuff till later. But not you. Not you. You have saved the best wine till now. So be it. Amen.